I've come to suck your blood. Good morning. Good morning. Hello. Good day. Good afternoon. Whatever day or time it is, Michelle, I say hello to you. I say it's eavesdropping time. It's That's eavesdro- what time it is. What time is it, Michelle? It's eavesdropping, eavesdropping time. time. <laughs> we sound a little bit high energy, don't we? A little bit mental today. You okay? How are you doing? I'm fresh off a good sleep. Although I have to say, do you remember a few weeks ago I was telling you I bought these new tropics? Oh, yeah. Join the new tropic club. Well, they all arrived and I... I've only been taking them for two days. Yesterday, I had the worst headache, headache oh. from hell. Went to sleep thinking, okay, I, I don't want to take anything, um, but woke up this morning with a headache. So then I've just taken a super strong <laughs> ibuprofen. So maybe maybe you're high on I'm, I'm ibuprofen. High on, yeah, maybe that's what it is. But do you think the new tropics are giving you a headache? Yes, I went on to Reddit. Never go on Reddit, honestly. It's it's <laughs> so crazy. Well, I don't know. Apart from Wikipedia, it's one of my main sources of research <laughs> <laughs> for this very podcast. Oh, well, Reddit, basically there are lots of people saying this one particular one I'm taking has can be fantastic for some people, not so great for others. What is it? It's called uh, Alpha GPC Choli. Not heard of it. Choli. Yeah. yeah. Right. It's meant to be what helps you. Um, I can't even speak. That's how badly it's not working. Uh, it's meant <laughs> to increase your memory, um, get rid of brain fog, all that kind of stuff. So, okay. you know, so I'm thinking I might just reduce the dose. Yeah. Hey, ho. Anyway, how right. are you? I'm all right. Thanks, Michelle. I've had my nootropics for the morning in coffee form. Coffee is a nootropic. Yeah. So it's green tea. Yeah. Well, listen, Michelle, this week I was reading the news. Oh, I didn't actually. That's a lie. I wasn't reading the news. It pops up on a screen, doesn't it? Sometimes a little headline here, a little headline there. Breaking news. Breaking news. I heard, and I don't know if you've heard this fantastic story, but have you heard about Spain's youngest bishop? No. He's about 52 and I've forgotten. I didn't write his name down, unfortunately. Yeah. I love that he's young, considered young. He's a bishop. I think you must be, you have to be really old to be a bishop. But this is from the Daily, not the Daily Telegraph, that's Australian, isn't it? This is from the the British paper, The Telegraph. Okay. He was such an extreme bishop that he would would perform exorcisms and gay (gasps) conversion therapy. But recently he resigned because he fell in love with the author, an author, a woman. Okay. Of satanic themed erotic fiction. (laughs) How fabulous is that? So his Catholic, I know, his Catholic colleagues thinks he's been possessed by the devil. Okay. That's why he's fallen in love with her. They think, oh, obviously something's happened. He's been overcome. Well, it could have easily happened when he was exercising someone. A thing, a spirit or the devil could have gone from his subject into him quite easily, I imagine. There's also another word for this. Two words. Construct. Oh, <laughs> that's what's happened here. He's construct. <laughs> well, this is how this is how they met, right? The object of his affection is the author of such tombs as the Hell of Gabriel's Lust, which deals with occultism and sadism, as well as the raw struggle between good and evil, God and Satan, angels and demons. 
Okay. And they met because they're both really into demonology. So they must have met at some kind of demonology. Well, because obviously <gasps> he needs to know because he needs to drive them out. She needs to know because she wants to write them in. But his churchy pals told Spanish media that they believe he'd been possessed by demons. One of them said this was not a problem of celibacy, but rather of infestation. <gasps> it's serious his business. Mine's been infested. Now, mm. two things here. Apart from what you said before, which was very rude. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, mum. Tombs or tomes? I say tombs. I say tomes. We need our target. Well, we need our target here. You've said Al Taggart again. His name's Al Taggart. Oh my God. I wanted, to men- I wanted to mention Al actually because anyone who doesn't believe in Al, there is some Al Taggart. He's Australian. He has restarted the Corona Appropriation Art Replication project that he started during the first lockdown, the first global lockdown last year. He yes. and other like-minded art fans of really old art, you know, the stuff that you'd see in the, in the, British in the in the in the National Gallery rather than the Tate which Mm -hmm. is modern yeah some really good like not Dante's Inferno yet but there's been some really good things like Girl with a Pearl Earring that kind of era he's doing some good stuff on there he and his family get all dressed up with tablecloths on their head much like you did for our last week's social media and replicate these amazing and they've been on the news they they replicate these amazing artworks so look it up on Facebook Corona Appropriation I'll take it. I'll take it's not a mythical creature. I'll take it's not a unicorn. I'll take it's not a made up person. Gave us pay with so much more. Gave us pay with so much more. Oh, oh. Speaking of uh, our videos, our social media. Yeah. Oh, it was actually one of my favourites, you talking to the alien. But, yeah, um, Baby Yoda. However, we did have a comment. Somebody wasn't so impressed. Well, I, there was a man. I, I believe it's a man because I went on and looked at his, his profile. I looked at his too. Had about six random photos on there. He wrote, what did he write on there, Michelle? He said, haven't you got anything better to do with your time or something? Yes, he did. I love that he's got nothing better to do with his time that he can scroll through people's social media and make comments like that. Cheeky. Tartan Pie. His name's Tartan Pie. Oh, is it? Okay. Well, I wonder how he found us. Mm. Well, it must have been a hashtag. Must have been one of those hashtags. Mm. Hashtags Nenish Tarts for Smoko. Anyway, (laughs) did you see too that we got tagged? No. Oh, the Bruderhof communities. Yes. Yes. Bruderhof, they know about us. They and honestly, I did give them a mild thumbs up, so they've got you nothing did, on me. Nothing on but me. But I called them slut shaming <laughs> in the post. <laughs> yes, you did. Okay, so there you go. Bruderhof. So anyone who doesn't know what we're talking about, apologies, apologies to you. But it's all about last week's episode, which was about sects. That's S E C T S. A friend of mine was scrolling. She heard me say sex, and she immediately fast forwarded in case any children were in the room. <laughs> but it's not sex, not crazy sex, as Michelle commented at some point during that episode that she loves crazy sex. But what she meant was <laughs> she loves crazy S E C T S stories about crazy sex, and of course ours were. Quite well, mine was crazy, yours was mildly thumbs up. Sorry, Bruderhof. Sorry, or Gruderhof, as you kept calling. I know. Back to your Spanish bishop. Mm. Anything more to add to this? The Pope offered him an exorcism, 
to help him and he said, no, thanks. Yeah. No, thanks. I'll take, I'm construct. I'm taking it. I'll take the crazy sadist sex with the author. Thanks. <laughs> Great story. Well, thank you. I had just a very quick shot. 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 Uh, this is to Wiz, who has had a previous shot. She's been sharted oh. at before. She yes. has. We gave her a shot. And uh, she was cleaning and her friend Phoebe, shout out to Phoebe, was also listening and said, fuck are you listening to? Because uh, <laughs> she had it. Wiz had eavesdropping on. And it was the strange addictions. And apparently Ooh. Phoebe was just like, whoa, what the fuck? Especially when she was listening to the bit where the woman was put like swirling her finger in the ashes and then taking yes. a, little, a little lick of it. But Anyone who oh. wants to hear that episode, that's two or three episodes ago, I think. I, think 30, I don't know yeah. what number we're on to. Yeah. yeah, so hopefully Phoebe's not a one-time listener, but a long-time listener. Oh. So there you go. Shout out to Phoebe. Phoebe, you can get shout arts. <laughs> I also had some conversations this week with uh, Chef Sean... From New South Wales, who is a paranormal, oh gosh, I'm going to have to give him a shout out next time. Enthusiast. I've forgotten to write down all the things. I'm hoping he will listen. And Sean, if you're listening, I will give you more of a shout out next time. Apologies. Well, he's going to send us some ghosty stories. Yeah, we want to do ghosts coming up soon. So please get your pen to paper, people, and write in all your ghost stories. We need some to talk about. And I've been in touch with Hazel, the psychic real estate agent. I'm asking her for some info too about any recent conversations she may have had with the dead. Yeah. (laughs) I would need Hazel. I need more Hazel in my life. Yes, me too. Well, speaking of all of that. Yes. What are we talking about this week, Geordie? Well, this week, okay, I had a conversation with a friend recently who told me of an experience that she had where she passed out. Now, she has a lifelong oh. heart problem and she one day in her apartment just out of the blue felt really faint and then collapsed and oh she told God. her flatmate to go and get her boyfriend. But in that moment, she suddenly felt really peaceful and happy and so calm And she thought she just felt like she was just enjoying being wrapped up in this feeling until she suddenly told herself, you've got to get up or you will never open your eyes again. Oh, my God. And she believes that that is a near-death experience. Now, I know we've spoken about near-death experiences before. I think it could either be maybe she was having a near-death experience or maybe it was a pain coping mechanism. I'm not sure. So it got me thinking because recently, sadly, I was with my father-in-law when he passed away and I had never been near a dead body before and I was wondering about death and you were also wondering about aspects of death in the form of reincarnation so today's topic is actually (laughs) what is it Michelle so many things it's the working title of oh god it was death death what happens when you die and reincarnation yes so well prepared today. No idea. She's got no idea. No idea. We've got no idea. No idea. There is no idea between No idea. Us. No idea. No idea. So the whole thing about my friend passing out and having this little 
weird thing got me thinking about death and obviously I was with my father-in-law when he died recently and I was thinking about you know the terminal lucidity that we spoke about in a previous near-death experiences Mm -hmm. episode for a dying person there can be a real sense of readiness like they're in this safe cocoon Mm -hmm. when they're in the last day or two of their life is what I discovered sometimes they have a burst of energy just before they die as well and seem like they're absolutely getting better yes I've heard this a lot Yes. That's, I think that's what they call terminal lucidity. Yeah, yeah, or they call it the golden hour or something as well. Right. Yeah. Well, Shakespeare wrote something about that in his play, Romeo and Juliet. Okay. There's a line, just as Romeo is laying Paris's body in Juliet's tomb, Act 5, Scene 3, he, it says, How oft when men are at the point of death have they been merry, which their keepers call a lightning before death lightening okay yeah so it's well it's well documented and it got me thinking about death are you ready to hear what happens when you die oh jesus christ do you want to know are you going to say the word fluids yes Ah! oh man all right i'm just bracing myself do we need a trigger warning here Possibly. (laughs) One thing I want you to all understand is that, you know, we spoke about Heaven's Gate recently, which was Mm. the cult started by Bonnie Nettles and Marshall Applewhite. His name was not Thomas Applethwaite. It was Marshall Applewhite, Bonnie Nettles, two people who were friends. They got together and they started this cult where it was another science fiction style cult where they thought they were going to be rescued by blah, blah. You all know about that. Uh, They call the body a vehicle. Okay. That's what they call it all the way through. That's what I'm going to imagine we're talking about today. It's just your vehicle okay. that we're going to be talking about. So Now, Geordie, hmm? do you have a Lambo or a V-Dub? I have a very reliable and sturdy <laughs> Volvo. <laughs> you can fit a lot in the trunk, <laughs> but it's quite difficult to park. Reverse parking can be awkward. (laughs) But listen, I've got some information from the BBC mostly. There's this article on death, decomposition, in fact. And did you know that it starts almost immediately after death? And it's a process called autolysis or (laughs) self-digestion. Sorry. Now, you know when your heart stops, your blood stops moving around your body, which means it pulls. You, oft- or you often hear oh, blood pooling when you're hearing about, you know, forensic TV shows or whatever. Yeah. The blood yeah. has pooled. And this is how examiners can determine the time of your death and your skin will look bruised or pale depending on where the blood has settled. Okay. <laughs> then your temperature drops to room temperature and this is called alga mortis. Not rigor mortis, but alga mortis. So kids, you're learning something new every day. Eavesdropping. <laughs> Isn't that good? Then, you know what? Your body can still be twitching and flexing as things settle. So there can still be a mu- movement scene, Michelle, which is quite creepy. Yes, but we all know about chickens. When you cut their head off, they still keep running around. That's what they say. And I've got some info about that later on, Ooh. about the head being removed. Anyway, we're moving on to rigor mortis now, which is where you get stiff and everything gets stiff like muscles and joints and it's all locked into place. Yes, Michelle, (laughs) it all gets stiff and you'll poo. The body will evacuate any waste products. So there is a smell as the gases and odours seep out. Seep 
out. Seep. Seep. And yes, Michelle, just as you were thinking, a corpse can get an erection. No. It can fart. It can moan. And this is all due to all the gases leaving the body and the, and the blood being stuck in certain position, oh positions. So these noises can happen as the air comes out. But also, Michelle, you'll like this one. Your face flattens out and becomes wrinkle free. Oh, I love that. Yeah. But sometimes the voice, your voice, like because the air coming out of your, out of here, your voice box can be activated still. So it'll sound like you're going, huh, or whatever. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> And then the critters will come to stay. So that's when things start to come and your body becomes alive with animals and little creatures and maggots and little tiny tardigrades, perhaps. I don't know. They all come to live. (laughs) Eventually the eyes bulge, the tongue swells and you putrefy. And that's just the bare basics of what happens to the vehicle when you die. But some studies show, Michelle, harking back to what you just said about these little chickies, they show that the brain is still active for a time. Okay. Research into brain activity. Terrifying. Yeah, terrifying. Research into brain activity of rats who have been decapitated show a burst of brain activity for about a minute. No. After the heads have been cut off. I know. So this was fascinating for me. So I went down a little wormhole. There's a case of a murderer called Charlotte Corday who was publicly executed in 1793. She murdered a politician or something. Sorry about the details being very vague. This is eavesdropping. You should be used to it by now. Yeah. But according to reports of the day, Corday's severed head was lifted up by the executioner who slapped her across the face. (gasps) And she went, out. stop that, you monster. She didn't. But everybody in the gallery was horrified when she blushed. And I'm thinking, well, if you're going to slap a face, there'd still be blood in there. Maybe it rushed to the, to the point of contact. Yeah. That's easily explained. Neil, get in touch. But everyone was horrified when she looked angry and indignant. She had a, an expression on her face. It changed. She was oh, like, my God. How yeah. dare you slap me? Who cares yeah. that you just cut off my head? How dare you slap me? And then it's also said that Anne Boleyn, when she was decapitated, beheaded, Henry VIII's second wife, she tried to speak. Her lips were moving. (gasps) No. It said, I mean, we can't have, we don't have absolute proof of this. These are just anecdotal. In 1989, more recently, an army veteran saw his friend decapitated in a car crash. And according to his story, the severed head showed emotions of shock, followed by terror and grief as its eyes glanced back at the separated body. Jesus Christ. Oh, my God. I know. But have you ever been, have you ever been with an animal or a person at the moment of death? No, thank God, because I left the room for five minutes. And when I returned, my father-in-law had passed away. But that's the closest it's been. Yeah. Okay. Because you have, haven't you? With our old cat. Yeah. With Pina. And I'm going to try and maybe talk about this without crying. Because normally whenever I talk about Pina, I lose my shit. Because she was such a special little cat. Trigger. Warning. Warning. Trigger. Warning. Look out. Trigger. Oh my goodness, Chips. Brace yourself, Mavis. She, unbeknownst to me, she'd been unwell for quite some time, but she, cats managed their symptoms and turns out she had jaw cancer. Oh. And I had been away in Japan for three weeks and a friend was looking after her. And when I came back, she had blood 
coming out of her mouth in her spit and I was like what the hell is going on took her straight to the vet and the vet just said she's in a lot of pain you need to put her down literally there and then I was not prepared at all for that outcome I thought oh here's a little cortisone injection and steroids and off you go I did not think that was the end of it for for Pina and Mm. and I had Pina in my arms and when they gave her the injection and she was looking up at me. Oh, no, Michelle. Yeah, she was looking at me and she had such trust and such love. And I felt like I absolutely betrayed her because oh. I knew what was coming. And she was in my arms and the injection went in. And I can't really describe it more than a light went out in her eyes. And her whole body just went limp. And it really was that moment of whatever it was that animated her and made her alive. It was gone. Mm. It was gone. And I had never experienced seeing literally the life drain from a living creature. And especially one that I had a connection with. And yeah, it was really distressing. And there wasn't any, I mean, you know, I know it's she's not a human. She was a cat. Uh, there wasn't any expressions and you know cats have all sorts of expressions but it was oh god it was so so traumatizing don't go there no well I've already did I bet you had lots of dreams afterwards did you I still do guilt dreams yep I still have dreams because I'm having guilt dreams about my father-in-law apparently it's very normal and it's part of the process really okay yeah I I don't think that you can beat yourself up obviously I you can't I did what was best for her, but it was fucking yeah. hard. I was howling, howling in the vet's office. We got a bit bleep. We got a bit dumb. We're two birds yakking. Just having a laugh. Oh, dear. That is heartbreaking. Of course, we're making light of death today because this is a comedy podcast. But of course, it does have effects on the people left behind. Quite often, the pain of dying, hopefully, you know, when people pass, it's, it's not as painful as we feel as the people left behind. Yeah. That's yeah. where the pain is, you know. It is. But anyway, going back to the actual mechanics of what happens to your vehicle, okay. let's call it a vehicle. In 2019, very recently, a study showed that dead bodies can move for up to 17 months after death. What? How that, bizarre is how that? How is that possible? How do they move? Well, I don't know how, but time-lapse videos of a corpse at an Australian anthropological research facility shows a corpse's arms moving from across the body, say, for example, in a Vincent Price style thing that I'm demonstrating to you right now, like, you know, I've come to suck your blood. Or a Tutankhamun. Yeah, Tutankhamun, (laughs) to being flung outwards over a period of time. Now, this could be due to dehydration, so the, the liquid's okay. seeping from your body and then your body will just naturally like move. It's very incremental. You wouldn't notice if you were looking at the body for 17 months. But what, but could it be, you know, external forces? 
So not earthquake because that's quite, but earth movements or tremors. Yeah, it could or be that too. Yes, sh- shuffling the body. Not that's I good to know. think about. I don't know. Could be the little critters in there having <laughs> a good furrow, a good munch. <laughs> So that is all I've got on the actual mechanics of what happens when you die. But I was talking to another friend last night who is a Jain. Do you know what the Jain religion is? No. It's one of the big three in India. Okay. I'll tell you more about it in a minute. But in the Jain religion, when when somebody dies, the, the ritual is this. The body is dressed and placed in a casket, open casket. And underneath is the swastika. They call it the swastika, mm. but it's not. It's the right way around. It's what the Nazis took as the as the emblem. Yep. The swastika was taken from this peace-loving. You know, Hindus also have a swastika in some of their yeah. things. But it's around the wrong way. They, the the yeah. Nazis tilted it. Their swastika is straight. Okay. But underneath the swastika, which is the kind of emblem... So there's a little flag of that underneath. But on top of this is a bowl or a, or a kind of tray with rice and mung beans placed okay. in it. Yep. Then there's eulogies and people come and view the body and they're washing it. They're covering the hands and feet in ghee and various other ritualistic stuff before the casket is closed. But actually before they close the casket, they put a piece of gold in the mouth and a pearl on one eye. Then they close the casket and immediately they're cremated. But yeah. the Jane... This could segue into your conversation, Michelle, because the Jane believe in reincarnation. But most of the time you won't come back as a person, but rather an animal or even something that's non-human because they do believe that air and water have a soul. Right. Very interesting. Yes. So my friend told me about this and she said to Google it, but I couldn't find anything about it. So it must just be maybe kind of old wives tales or, you know, legend Mm. that's been passed down throughout her family. You can read the bowl of rice afterwards and beans and see what prints, if there's like a pigeon print of a footprint in there, you'll you'll know that this person is moving on next life. If they're going to be a, a pigeon, bird. don't yeah. don't think that they're going to be always stuck like that because they can achieve enlightenment and nirvana and be released up into the heavens, which is very similar to what the the Buddhists believe. So yeah. that's all good. Yeah, isn't that interesting that they they believe that they can see that the Jain are amazing because they. They are so non-violent that they won't even hurt plants. They won't eat. They're vegetarian, right? Mm. They won't even eat root vegetables because it's if they believe if you pull up the root, you're killing the plant. You can eat the leaves, you can eat the the fruit and the and whatnot, but you can't take the you wow. can't take the the roots up. And another interesting Jane fact: they're quite into celibacy, but obviously, you know, when you're married, you're allowed to do the do, but only to have children. And once you have a boy, you're done. Oh. No more sex. Oh, my God. So no sex for fun. No. It is an interesting segue into what I'm talking about because a lot of religions do believe in reincarnation. And I sort of was going to look into reincarnation today, but it ended up segueing more into past lives. And reincarnation memories. So I'm going to ask you a question here. Go on then. Geordie. Yes, Michelle. Have your kids ever said anything to you about a past life that has freaked you out? No. Okay. Because a couple of weeks ago, Dan Schreiber, and he's this guy who 
is the co-creator of Radio 4's Museum of Curiosity radio show. Love it. Yeah. He also co-hosts a podcast called No Such Thing as a Fish. Oh, yes. I've heard, I've heard about that one. Yeah. So he posted a tweet on his Twitter account a couple of weeks ago. And I'll just read it out. He's at Schreiberland. Schreiber. Schreiberland. It says, interesting bedtime chat with my three-year-old tonight. Inverted commas. Daddy, I had a family a long time ago and my mummy was called Sochi and I was called Anki, but then I died and now I'm with your family. End of quotation marks. And then he writes, anyway, if anyone needs me, I'll be cleaning up the pants I just shat for the rest of the night. (laughs) So, yeah. That is like the episode that we did about with the kids who had memories of other lives. Like one was a pilot at the Battle of Iwo Jima and went down and he kept having dreams of it. Exactly. It's madness, isn't it? What do you think it is, Michelle? Well, so many things. But look, I'm not joking. That tweet had something crazy, like more than 5,000 comments and retweets. With comments, and 99% of these comments were all people sharing their own weird stories of their kids creeping them out with stories of past lives. And look, I am fascinated by this because I do believe in reincarnation. And look, I don't know how it works. I don't know what it looks like. But a little bit like what you were just saying about being a vehicle, I think the body is just a house for the energy that animates us. And look, last week you talked about the Raelians and the idea of eternal life. And you talked about the essence of what makes any of us who we are. I don't think any of us really knows what happens to that essence. And some people call it the soul. Some people call it your spirit. Some people call it source energy. But I I think it's all the same, no matter what you call it. And when I was doing research for this, I came across this idea. And it was basically Einstein's idea of the eternal nature of energy and he's because he said energy can neither be created or destroyed it just changes form so if we apply that to the theory I like that idea yeah Yeah. if we apply that to the theory of reincarnation to me it kind of makes a lot of sense because if the amount of energy that has ever existed has always been the same then And it's just the form that changes, right? And if we believe that we are animated by energy, then our energy has always existed. It's just the same. It's just that it's changed form. And and it changes form when it goes into another body. So for me, I feel like that seems really logical, and it's a mind bender, Michelle. Do you know, as you're talking, I had, when I was a teenager, I had a friend and we came up with a decomposition theory, which is when you die, you turn to dust or you're burnt and you turn to, you know, ash or whatever. Yeah. And then it goes on the ground and, and then it, or, you know, and you then your ex-wife dirt. eats you. And then your ex-wife, or you do get eaten because you turn into dirt. Yeah. Yeah. And the bugs and worms. So perhaps, yep. yeah. Yeah. And then we grow we grow vegetables in that dirt and we eat them. So it's a cycle. Or we feed our Yeah, it's a cycle. Yeah, it it's is. It's pretty basic what I just said. That was the from the mind of a fourteen year old, but, <laughs> but <laughs> it makes sense. It but look, I mean and there are quantum physics theories about reincarnation, which 
honestly, I did not have enough time or brain energy because I had a massive headache from my nootropics. But I <laughs> look, I think it's another episode because it's so fucking fascinating for me. I, and I think, look, no matter how you think about this, past lives and reincarnation, it's an ancient belief. You know, and it's across so many cultures and religions. I mean, you were just talking about the Jane. So I I think it's something that people have been pondering forever. Look, and I know there are people that don't believe because I we were driving yesterday in the car. We went out of out of town down to the village and we we were driving and I was telling Andreas about, you know, what we were doing and he and I said, Do you have anything to add? Because he was just driving, not replying. And I said and he was like <laughs> Well, you know what I believe. He said, I don't believe in huh? any of that rubbish. He just oh. thinks that when we die, that's it. We, you know, what you see is what you get. Yeah. But honestly, after this guy, Dan Schreiber, had posted this tweet and the thousands, thousands of anecdotes from parents who have obviously had really strange, creepy conversations with their kids. Mm. And the kids are talking about, events that are completely beyond their experience I just think we have to consider that there's something to it and again when I was doing the research I came across this quote from a guy called Pierre Teilhard de Chardin who was a French Jesuit priest a scientist a paleontologist and a theologian and a philosopher boy yeah oh and he was born in 1881 and died in the 50s and he said we are not human beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Oh. And I got chills when I read that. Yes, I just got chills when yeah. you said it. Yeah. And to me. My God. I'd never thought about, about it in that way. Honestly, I still have chills. Like it, to me, really resonates in, I get that. in a way. So then going down a wormhole, like I said, I ended up looking at all of these reincarnation memories. And, you know, there are people who've been studying this and, you know, they've been saying basically children don't have filters because all yeah. of these reincarnation memories are from kids who are aged between, well, anywhere from two, any, from any time they can actually when they speak. can speak, yeah. And generally, kids seem to lose these memories after age seven. So Mm -hmm. between that age, like they're saying that kids don't really have filters and they don't really have any incentive to lie or make up these stories because many of the things they say relate to how they died. So it's actually traumatic for the child to talk about these memories. And, you know, when I was reading through all these these comments there were so many threads running through it where there were just similarities between what these comments were and and one was basically the kids were just doing normal stuff and then they just pop out with some insane memory using Mm. language that is more sophisticated and more advanced than how they normally speak a lot of times it was baby talk and then they said something really terrifying and that they were talking about events and details that they could not have had any previous knowledge of. But they were really sure and very matter, matter of fact about what they were saying. So 
And look, I guess the flip side of this is, yes, kids are suggestible and they have really great imaginations. But when they say creepy stuff, many parents were convinced that the kids were not making shit up, but that they were actually talking about real memories from a past life, especially when the kids were talking about having their own children or being married or they used to be the opposite sex, right? Oh. Yeah. And look, what I did come across, and it was really interesting, when kids would would say things like, oh, when I used to be a boy, I would do this. Or when I used to be a girl, my name was whatever. And a lot of people were sort of positing ideas of, could reincarnation memories be one of the reasons why people who feel like they've been born into the wrong body in the wrong body yes have okay. these feelings so right. yeah i don't know i i i think that's a line of inquiry that i didn't go down but certainly something to think about do you know what you said before about the children saying these things but they don't have any incentive to lie i remember being three or four years old, a very strong memory with my mum in the kitchen. I was standing at the sink. She was doing the washing up or doing, and I wanted to help her. And I started, I don't know what inspired me to say this. I started this conversation where I told her that before she got me, which was when I was how old was I? Four months old because I was adopted. Go back a few episodes. You'll find that one. Adoption scandals. Before she got me, when I was in the home, because I was in a, and I knew this because they used to tell me, I mean, I must have known this because they used to tell me stories, right? That was the bedtime story. They told us about how they picked us up from somewhere from the hospital. Yeah. So I must have known that. But I remember telling her before she got me, when I was in the home with all the other babies, we used to do all this washing up. We used, they taught us how to do the washing up. They taught us how to do the putting away. I used to do it all the time, mum. And she and I knew I was lying. Yeah. And sh- and I wasn't sure if she knew I was lying, but she was going, "Oh, did you? Oh, that's interesting." Like she was entertaining me. Okay. And I felt slightly guilty about doing the lie. Okay. Well, carried on with it anyway. Well, interesting. You should talk about that because there's a whole thread about kids saying basically, "We choose our parents," and there's there was a comment here. It was from. Joanne at Redhead Irish 33 is her Twitter handle. And she uh-huh. said, this is, this is her tweet. My boy told me at roughly three years old about being taken to the room where you choose your parents. He said there were loads of photos of people and he chose me for my smile. Uh, he thought it was totally normal for folks to remember this. And he described all the faces of all the other parents. Interesting. But could he just be a fantasist like me? <laughs> At three and Maybe. four and be making shit up. Maybe. There is that possibility. Of course. And then we go to Rora Munro. Uh, so she says, my son at age seven told me he was in the universe with God and had three doors to choose from. He said one had more time in it and he didn't have to come back. But he picked me in the middle door, walked through it and cried as he was born. He couldn't remember what was behind the third door. Oh, my God. That's quite eerie. Yeah. So one has more. So the one that he didn't choose had a longer life. Maybe. Maybe. That's that's what I, as his mother hearing that, that's what I'd be thinking. Oh, my God. Yeah. But 
then there were things like, uh, this is from John Kennedy. When my little brother was small, he said to my mum, this is where I died, wasn't it, mummy? She was bathing him at the time. And 18 months before he was born, she had a miscarriage in the bath. Oh, my God. Yeah. And I'm not joking. There are thousands and thousands of tweets like this in reply to Dan Schreiber. Like people saying all weird stuff that kids come out with. Yeah. With regards to that one, I've heard there's a story somewhere. We haven't covered it, but I've heard it on other podcasts of um, where two little girls were killed and then the the parents went on to have two more children and they had memories of the things that these children, the older siblings who were killed, used to do. And it used to freak them out. They felt that their new children had been reincarnated. Their old children, sorry, had been reincarnated into the new new one. Do you see what I mean? But... Moira, our resident historian, and I were discussing this the other day. Yeah. She raised it, actually. She didn't know we were doing this as a subject. She's and She raised honored, it. isn't she? She's in the zeitgeist. She zeitgeist. She said, she, but she came across it in a different way, Michelle. She didn't say it was something to do with reincarnation. She didn't believe that the bodies were, the vehicles were, you know, had somebody else's essence in them from a previous life. And that's where the memories come from. She believed or she was exploring the possibility of a belief that there are memories in the ether and those memories can be can be plucked by these two, three-year-old, four-year-old children. Mm-hmm. They can grab these memories, whether they're from a parent or just out there like the, the Battle of Iwo Jima. Yeah. And they kind of assimilate them. These memories become theirs. They're just kind of like little thought bubbles. If you can imagine it like an animation, you're walking along and it's a little thought bubble of how I died and how that person won the war and how this person was a Hollywood producer and got killed in a car crash. They end up popping themselves or inserting themselves into these little vehicle baby kids. Yeah. That's what they're talking about when they have these memories or dreams. It's something it could very well be that i mean i understand that's difficult to follow and i didn't explain that very well but there are all sorts of theories that i mean you know people call it reincarnation memories but maybe it is something else but look i'm going to tell you the story of jenny cockle she when she was before the age of four so between three and four she started talking about when she was a woman called mary And more than that, she vividly remembered how she died in the 1930s. And she would tell her mother all the time about all the memories she had when she was Mary. So when Jenny was Mary, she told her mum she died in hospital while giving birth to her eighth child. And she was 35 years old, right? Crikey, that's hard work. Yeah. So Jenny would tell her mum all about the memories she had of bringing up these kids and she would talk about this incredible guilt that she felt at leaving all these kids behind and orphaning them because she knew that they were left alone and vulnerable and that her kids would be split up so she said when she was Mary she had lived in Ireland and this is really intense she at age four she drew a map at from memory of where she used to live in Ireland. But Jenny had never been to Ireland. She lived in England. And she was too young to know about any of the things that she was talking about. And she certainly had no 
way of like drawing a map from memory. So the thing is like... Insane. Yeah, really insane. So the thing with with Jenny is that... And look, uh, just as a quick aside, through uh, the research I've been doing, there have been a lot of studies that say basically age three is the hot zone for kids remembering these reincarnation Mm. memories. And in fact, this one woman who is a statistician... Uh, Try again. Statistician. Yeah. Stats. You did it. Stats. 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 She she went through all of these comments on Dan Schreiber's um, Twitter and made like this pie chart, m- figuring out like when it was that most of these kids started the memories, had most of the memories and then forgot the memories. And so, yeah, yeah really like most kids – forget everything by age seven but Jenny unlike most kids she continued to have these memories her whole life and it just they seem to stay with her right into into adulthood and these memories of her being Mary never faded and look I read this article where she was talking about when she first remembered that she was Mary and this is actually a quote from Jenny she said I started talking about these memories before I turned four and I thought it was what everyone experienced. I had tiny fragments of dozens and dozens of memories, but there were four past lives that came through the strongest and the memories of being Mary were the strongest ones of all. And she says, I remembered feeling so upset and guilty at leaving the children. There was this sense of wanting to see what had happened to them and make sure they were all right. Did she then Google the children? Well, this was in 1989. You couldn't oh. Google, right? No. So Jenny just got on with her life, not really thinking about Mary until she had kids. So yeah, uh-huh. in 1989, she decided to get on a plane, go to Ireland and see if she could find out whether or not Mary had ever existed. And if there really were eight kids whose mother had died. So from her memory, she redrew the map. And somehow she managed to narrow down where she thought she might have lived when she was Mary. And it was a place called Malahide, which is in North Dublin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So do you know Malahide? Yeah, I do. Ah, yeah. okay. Yeah, because you've spent time there. Um, yeah. So she went there and she says she instantly felt a connection and she noticed things had changed. Mind you, Jenny had never been to Ireland. First time. No. But she was like... Yeah. Shit's changed. So she saw this builder's yard and, yard and she was like, okay, it wasn't a builder's yard anymore. It was a supermarket. But she was like, that used to be a builder's yard. And there was a jetty, but it was brand new. She was like, that that didn't used to be concrete. That used to be, you know, whatever. Wood. And mm-hmm. apparently, tick, tick, all correct, right? And then those things had changed. So even though she didn't know exactly where her house was, she knew it was in, in an area close to a few other houses opposite a boggy meadow. So mm-hmm. when she was in Malahide, sort of guided by her memories, she walked to a spot where she thought the house should have been, but there were only these torn down houses there because they were making way for uh, a housing development. So she was like, I think that's where I lived. But... Basically, she was in a place she'd never been to and she recognised yeah. all this shit. So she knew she probably was in in the right place. She recognised mm-hmm. places without knowing how. 
but she didn't know what Mary's surname was, only that Mary had lived in the 1930s and had died 21 years before she was born as Jenny, Mm -hmm. right? So she went around and started talking to a few old timers in Malahide and she struck up a conversation with this guy who remembered that, yeah, actually there had been a family who had lived exactly where she had said in one of these houses that got knocked down. And he told her that this woman had had eight kids and had died during childbirth and that her name was Mary Sutton. Oh, Yeah. So Now she's got a name. She's got a name. And she has confirmation that the exact place she went to, yeah, yeah. a woman had lived was there with eight kids. So Incredible. And like I said, this is all like pre-internet. So this is all face-to-face stuff here. Yeah. So... Basically, she thought, okay, now I she know. She could go to births, deaths to marriages now, though, couldn't she, to the registry office and find out? Yeah, yeah, she probably could, actually. So she decided she was going to track down these eight kids that uh-huh. Mary had orphaned. So she put some ads in a couple of the Irish newspapers, and a guy called John got in touch and said he thought he was one of Mary's kids. And Aww. he then put her in touch with his brother, Sonny, who was living in England. And look, at this point, the BBC got wind of this story and asked if she would be part of this show called Strange But True. And she and Sonny both agreed to it. So what they did was they interviewed Sonny and they interviewed Jenny separately before they'd ever met. Yeah, right? they never met, yeah. Because they wanted to see how Sonny's memories matched up with Jenny's reincarnation memories of being Mary. And apparently there were nine pages of Jenny's memories that tick, 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 all lined up with what Sonny had said. So Sonny was absolutely fucking convinced that this woman was Mary. And look, I watched some of this documentary. It's quite hard to find. And there were only like little clips, but I managed to see some. And Sonny's in his 70s. And, you know, Jenny is in her, what, like 30s or something. So And he was convinced this young woman who out of the blue found him was his mom because in oh. this documentary he said Jenny, when she was talking to him, had information that only Sonny and his mom would know. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, really, really insane. But of the other seven kids, one had died, so six of them, mm-hmm. they were all then in their 60s and 70s. They didn't think Jenny was Mary. They thought their mother Mary was sending a message through Jenny. Through Jenny. Yeah. There you go. And yeah. that Jenny's efforts to track down all the siblings who had been separated mm. and sent to live with, you know, different family members or adopted. Yeah. This was Mary's way of bringing them all back together. Together. Mm. Oh, my goodness. What a mm. lovely story. Yeah. And it's beautiful. Yeah. And look, it was really emotional, actually, because they had Jenny's mother talking about when Jenny was a little girl and yeah. talking about being Mary. And she said it was intense being her mum because she was so certain. And look, I don't know how, as a little girl, you mm. know all of this stuff that later turns out to be true. You know yeah. what I mean? It's... 
I don't know. It's strange but true, Michelle. I'm going to check that show out. It sounds amazing. Yeah. There was another few threads on this that were really interesting. It was about sort of violent deaths. It seemed that a lot of these kids were talking about, you know, being being killed, right, Mm. in all of these comments. There's a guy called Jim Tucker and he is a psychologist and was a director of the Division of Perceptual Studies at the University of Virginia and he did a lot of research into these reincarnation memories. He says, in many cases, children remember violent or unusual deaths. And like I said, so many tweets and comments where people remember, these kids are remembering like horrible ways they died when they were someone else. And, you know, no one said, none of these tweets were like, yeah, I was 95 and I died in my sleep after a peaceful, happy life. You know, they were all (laughs) like really violent or tragic, horrible things. And most of the memories seem like quite traumatic. So is it possible that only the souls or spirits or energy or whatever you want to call it that comes back to be in another body are people who had died tragically or too early in their previous lives? So they're coming back. They're giving... They're getting another chance. Do you know what I mean? Unfinished business. Yeah. And look, I was thinking about this in terms of like, you know, arcade games, right? So you think about this. Three lives. You get three lives. Or or even you think about, okay, so you're you're in this game, you get killed violently, your life is dead. So you you get another chance. Or you're like, mm. I want to, I want to keep going. I want to keep going till I get it right. I want to keep going till I have the peaceful life. Yeah. And yeah. maybe there is something in that. I, I really maybe. don't know. I don't know. But one of the last things I'm going to talk, talk to you about is this idea of scars and birthmarks, right? Yeah. So again, Jim, t- I mean, because there are a lot of tweets about kids with scars and birthmarks. And yeah. Jim Tucker talks about investigating loads of of kids who had died and had injuries and then they would point to something on their body which was either a birthmark or a scar that corresponded with the injuries or wounds that happened when they died in their previous life and he says look logically on one hand it could be that kids see these birthmarks and and make up a story about it but yeah when I was reading through Dan Schreiber's tweets, there were two that really jumped out at me. So uh, actually, these are from um, a YouTube thing I'd seen. These are not Dan Schreiber's. Mm-hmm. So the first one was from somebody called At Wilk. And it says, my daughter was born with a large scar on her leg and one on her face that showed up as she got older. And I asked her one time when she was about three, I wonder where this scar came from. And she looked at me right in the face and said, when I was a boy... I was jumping on hay bales with my cousins. My name was Max and I jumped off and landed on a spiky thing that farmers use. And then I was in your tummy. And she said it just like that, really matter of fact. Oh, wow. And then another one, this is from somebody called Jade Demby. She says, my son says things like this all the time. He has, since he could speak and still does at four years old. He talks about his other mummy and she wasn't a nice mummy and she didn't play with him like I play with him. And he said how his friends weren't nice people. He says he made and built cars. He told me he was 46 and one day he put sugar in his friend's gas tanks because they were mean and they hurt him. 
Then he points to a spot on his back and said, they hurt him and it was hot and sharp and he was very sad that his friends did that. And he points to Uh the exact spot on his back where his birthmark is. And he has never seen this birthmark because it's on his back. Yeah, yeah. And he said he then went to sleep and he woke up and he was a baby and I was his mummy. And he told me that I'm nicer than his other mummy. And when he gets frustrated, he yells, I'm big. I don't have to listen. This is not my body. And he says it all the time. (gasps) Oh, my God. I don't know. I don't know if these reincarnation stories are true, but... There is something in this, and if and look, I'm going to put a link to Dan Schreiber's yeah tweet, and so you can like if you're interested, go through. But all I'm going to say is, I think this there are too there's too much anecdotal evidence here, if you want to call it evidence, that there is at least something to investigate with these kids saying these absolutely weird things. So yeah, yeah, there it is. Amazing. It's making me think about ghosts because next week we're going to be talking about ghosts, Michelle. I think that's what we need to do. Okay, all right. Because it almost segues into it. And I caught the end of a TV program. I think it's called Ghosts. Okay. And it's a comedy. Oh, and it's good. got all those people from Horrible Histories and all, like the young comedy comedy actors in it. And I noticed there's a room full of ghosts yeah. from all different eras. And there is a Neanderthal. So obviously... What about these guys? Why don't we get haunted by Neanderthals? Maybe we do. We just don't realise because they, they can't talk. Maybe they're the monsters. Maybe, Maybe they're the mon- scary monsters under people's beds. <gasps> There's so much to think about. Oh, God. All right. Well, look, I better go and get, get researching. That's right. People write in. Do write in and tell us your ghost stories for next week's episode. Hurry up. Hurry up. And in the meantime, keep on eavesdropping. Eavesdropping. Eavesdropping, 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 e